you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, we're in the study of the life of Abraham. Abram or Abraham, interchangeably, you'll find that I will use those. We began chapter 15 last week whenever we saw that all the experience that had happened as he had done, Abraham had taken his men and, and those who were his allies and battled those kings of Babylon and brought back the spoils and brought back the people and encountered Melchizedek at that time and the king of Sodom and all that experience that we saw in chapter 15 verse 1. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. and We talked about that the Lord spoke spoke to Abraham as he wants to speak to us. He told him that he'd be, he didn't have to fear, he'd be a shield to him and that his reward would be great. God was going to reward him greatly. And Abraham basically says, well, how, how could you give me a great reward in the fact that the thing I need most I don't have. I'm childless. I don't have a, a child, don't have a son, don't have an heir. The heir to, to all I have would be Eliezer, the slave who's been born in my household. And God told him, said, Eliezer's not going to be your, he's not going to be your heir. But rather, there's going to be one who's going to be born out of you out of your body, who is going to be your heir. He takes him out then, remember to the outside, it's nighttime. Takes him out there and, and he shows him the stars and says, can you count the stars? Of course, it's impossible to count the stars. And he said, of all those stars, if you, as much, many as there are stars, your descendants will be. And that's where it said that Abram believed the Lord and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Well, the Lord continues the conversation in these moments. And so we pick up in verse 7. Look what happens next. And he, God, said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he, Abram, said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven 
and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Now I hope you'll leave your Bibles open as we look at this. What is called the cutting of the covenant with Abram. This is God cutting a covenant, making a covenant with Abram. It's interesting how this begins because God tells him in verse number 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. An interesting thing about that is it seems as though God, when he's making promises, he always seems to make a twofold promise. He said, I made a twofold promise to you, Abram. This is the beginning of time, <laughs> beginning of the walk of faith. I made a twofold promise to you. One of those promises, I said, I'm going to get you out. I'll bring you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And the second promise is that I'm going to give you this land, a land to possess. A twofold promise. Not just to get him out of Ur of Chaldees. But he also is going to give this land. He's going to possess this land. Now, isn't that interesting that whenever God called Moses to fulfill what he had foretold to Abraham about those 400 years of slavery and that they were going to be delivered out of those 400 years of slavery, when God called Moses in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 8, he called Moses and he told him, he said, there are two things that you're going to do. One of the things you're going to do is you're going to go in and you're going to get my children out of Egypt. And two, you're going to take them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a twofold promise. Isn't that interesting? He said, just like Abram, I'm getting you out to get you in. <laughs> he said to Moses, you're going to help the children of Israel to get out in order to get in. Let me show you something in the New Testament. It's found in John. Hold your hand here just a minute and turn over to John chapter 10. God gives us a two-fold promise as Christians. Did you know that? We're going to focus on this, this study that's coming up beginning Sunday where we're talking about avoiding spiritual pitfalls. We're going to, we're going to focus on, this, on one of the truths about this. But listen to this two-fold promise that Jesus said in verses 9 and 10 of John 10. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Okay? He shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. In other words, he says, I'm saving you out of something. What's he saving us out of? Sin. <laughs> he's saving us out of sin. He, he's saving us out of that punishment of hell, isn't he? That's what he's saying. But wait a minute. It's a twofold promise. Look at verse 10. Here it is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and you might have it how? Abundantly. Okay, so he gives us a two-fold promise. He wants to save us out of sin, save us out of the punishment of hell, but not just to save us out of that, he wants us to experience life and life abundantly. So as God gives a two-fold promise to Abram, he gave a two-fold promise to Moses, 
He gives a twofold promise to us as Christians. It has to do with getting out, but also getting in. If all you do is get out, but you don't get in, you're not going to be pleasing to the Lord. That's what that passage we'll be dealing with in 1 Corinthians 10 says. It says, they all got out, but with most of them God was not well pleased because they were what? They were laid low in the wilderness. They got out, but they what? But they didn't get in. It's not enough just to get out. God wants His twofold promise to be fulfilled in our lives. So go back to Genesis now. In Genesis chapter 15, God said to him, I've got you out of the Ur of Chaldees, and I'm taking you into this land that you are going to possess. Well, listen to the question that Abram asked in verse number 8. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? He just says, Lord, how am I going to know that? How am I going to know that what you've promised me is going to be true? That what you've said to me is going to happen? Well, in regard to that, first of all, let's put it this down. The word of God is sure and certain, right? The word of God is sure and certain, and in reality, it is enough. If all God did was just speak his word and speak a promise, that is enough. But now remember, Abram is at the very beginning of the journey with God. You remember that? Abram's not able to read about how God was faithful in the past. He didn't read about all of the history of what happened with God and other people and how God faithfully fulfilled. Abram is the beginning of it. And so he's learning about the God who keeps his word. He's learning about the God who's faithful and whatever he says is certain. He's learning about that. So, so he basically says, now, now Lord, you have... You've said that and you've promised that you're going to get me out. You did get me out. And you also promised that I'm going to possess this land. I don't yet have it. I'm not yet holding it. How, how do I know? How do I know that I'm going to possess it? Now, God could have simply said, uh, my word's not enough. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He goes and he answers that for Abram in a unique way. By cutting a covenant. All right? Listen to what happens here in verse number 9. So he, God, said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female lamb, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So God requires of these animals to be brought to him. And whenever he brings them, he tells him to then do something. Verse 10. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. Okay, you can imagine. He cut that heifer, and one half of that heifer is here, and one half of it is here. He cuts that female goat, one half of it is here, one half of it is there. He cuts that ram, one half of it is there, one half. It is split right in the middle, okay, right in the middle. And that was called cutting the covenant, cutting the covenant. Cut in the covenant, and the covenant is sealed with what? What, what are those animals going to do when you cut them in half? They're going to bleed. That's right. The covenant of blood, all right? This covenant of blood. Now, he has him to do that. It says, and laid each half, but he did not cut the birds. Now, part of that has to do with something that is called revelation that is yet to progress. 
In other words, you realize right here we don't have the law. We don't have any sacrificial system that's been set up. Nothing. When was all that given unto us? When Moses came in Mount Sinai and the law was given and all the sacrificial rituals and all those things were given, that's 400 years later, isn't it? That's after the, the, what God promised to Abraham was going to happen to his, to his people. That's all taking place over there, all right? So he doesn't have that. But this all is a precursor to that. It all has to do with the sacrifices that will be made, the blood that will be shed, the fire of the altar, the fire of God, the Shekinah glory of God. All those things play into fact. All those things are true to God, even though Abram, our history, hasn't seen it yet. So he, he doesn't cut the birds because in the ritual, in the law giving, they never did cut the birds. Whenever the birds were sometimes used as a sacrifice, they were used as a sacrifice because somebody couldn't afford another animal. But those birds were never cut in half or like that. They were in, in the hole, all right? But that's going to be in the law later. But still with God, it says the birds weren't cut. Now look what it says here. Verse 11. Well, stop there just a second. What, what is this doing? It, it's laying out the blood, and it's laying them separately. And what has happened in, in that day was to have a covenant that they made. And a covenant is, a, is an agreement that they make with one another. It's a blood covenant that they make with each other. It's the idea that I'm going to keep what I say to you, and, it, and if I don't keep it, then what happens to these animals being severed and cut in half, that, would, that needs to happen to me. And that, that's how serious it was, you know. If, if I do not fulfill what I have said, then may I be killed and cut in two. All right? That's literally what it means. And so whenever they would make that covenant, they would cut the animals and they would walk through those animals as they're separated from one another. Let me show you where that tells us. Hold here just a second and turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 34. In Jeremiah chapter 34, it talks about this covenant between people, all right? In verse 18, it says, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. Let me read it again to you. What do you say? I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant, which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two, separated the parts, and passed between its parts. In other words, that's the picture of that cutting of the covenant. All right? So God says, we're gonna, I'm going to cut this covenant. We're going to make this covenant with you, Abram. All right? Cut those animals, separate them. The covenant is going to be made with you. So, this is a covenant or a promise of God. Notice what happens next. And the, verse 11, And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, what's that talking about? Well, here is this covenant that God is going to make with Abram. All right? it's a very significant covenant that he's making with him. And, and it says this covenant is going to be sealed by blood. It's going to be sealed by dividing these. And, and when that covenant is made... He says they're going to be the birds of prey. The birds of prey are a picture of evil. It's a picture of Satan. It's a picture of everything that's opposing God, opposing the promises of God or the faithfulness of God or the covenant that God would make. 
He basically says there's going to be all kinds of forces that are going to work against it. There are going to be all kinds of things. And old Satan himself is going to try to do whatever he can to destroy this covenant, this promise that, I, that I'm going to make with you. You're going to have a difficulty in believing and holding on to that promise. And it's like Abraham, Abraham had to come. What was his responsibility? He had to push away the birds of prey to keep them from devouring or eating upon the carcasses. And basically he said to Abram, Abram, you and all of your people who are part of this covenant, you're going to have a responsibility to keep pushing on and keep guarding this covenant that I have made. There are going to be times it's going to be hard for you to believe it. There will be times when somebody's going to try to steal it away and make you not believe it. You've got to keep pressing away just as you would push the birds of prey away from those carcasses. You're going to have to try to preserve in your own heart that I'm going to keep this promise. I'm going to live out this covenant, what I'm making to you. All right? So there's the picture. This covenant's going to be made by God. The enemy's going to try to make him question. Abraham and all of those of Abraham's seed are going to have to abide by it and hold on to that covenant being kept. Now stop there just a second. What would be one example of that? Well, do you think the children of Israel, whenever they were taken over there in into Egypt, and they became slaves for 200, about 280 years. They were slaves to Pharaoh, building all of his storage buildings and everything else, and, and they're prayed for the Messiah to come and deliver to come. You think, you think 220 years into that, somebody might have questioned whether or not the promise was going to be true? It, it, for us, if it doesn't happen in a week, we start questioning. Amen. If it doesn't happen in a month, we're, we're sweating. By, by the time it doesn't happen in a year, you can't find them. Here, they got 280 years after the Pharaoh came, comes into power who forgets Joseph and who's going to put them in slavery. All that time. You think they had to work hard? Do you think somebody had to beckon them to keep holding on? You, you think like Abram who's pushing away the birds of prey so it doesn't eat the carcasses that make up the covenant? What God told Abram was going to happen, was going to need to happen, they had to hold to it. It was going to happen. Well, look, look what else he says now. This is what happens here in verse number 12. Two days are involved in this process, all right? Look at verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Now basically, God says, when I'm telling you how hard it's going to be to keep this covenant at times, I'm fixing to give you an illustration. I'm going to give you an example. Now this is Abram, okay? And remember, hold on a second. Abram hadn't even had a son yet. He hadn't had a son, and God's fixing to tell him something about all his descendants, what's going to happen to them, okay? So look what happens. Verse 13. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. What's he talking about? He's talking about, he's talking about when Joseph goes over and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and he makes a way for all of his family to come over to Goshen and they have herds and they become very plentiful and they get so plentiful that Pharaoh's concerned they're going to overrun the Egyptians and overpower them. So they began to make them slave labor. You, know, you remember that story, don't you? That's all in the book of Genesis. We haven't got out of Genesis. But he tells him, he tells him, 
They're going to be oppressed for 400 years. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. All right? Your people. Now he goes on to tell him, But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards they will come out with many possessions. He said, There will be an end. After that 400 years, there's going to be an ending. And I'm going to judge that nation. Well, when did that happen? That's the book of Exodus, right? In the book of Exodus, first part, whenever Moses goes over there and they have all the plagues, you think there was judgment of the nation of Egypt? Absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't the flies eating them and, and the locusts getting them, it was the gnats eating them up, and even to the death of the firstborn. Do you think they went through a punishment for what they had done to the children of Abraham? Absolutely. Well, listen to what he goes on and says. And I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Did that happen? Sure did. Whenever they left, they said, you will not leave empty-handed, but you will loot Egypt. And they did. They took all their wealth, all their possessions. The Egyptians said, here, take it, take it. Y'all go, get out of here. We're tired of y'all. That's basically what. When was that promise? In Genesis chapter 15, 400 years before it ever happened, God told Abram exactly what's going to take place. Your descendants are going to go to a nation that's not theirs. They're going to be held enslaved and oppressed. And whenever they're going to be, I'm going to judge that nation. They're going to come out. And at that point, they're going to come out not empty-handed. They're going to come out with many possessions. And then God just gives a footnote to Abram about him. He says, And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. In other words, he said, Abram, all that's going to happen, you're not going to be concerned about it. None of, that, none of that's going to concern you. You're going to be buried at a ripe old age and satisfied with life. That's what it says about his burial a little bit later in the book of Genesis. You're satisfied with life, an old man. He tells me, all this stuff I'm telling you, all this stuff's going to happen, all these promises I'm making to you about your descendants, it's not going to be in your lifetime. You're going to die an old man. Look what happens in verse 16. Then, in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Okay, hold on a second. In, in the fourth generation, now, how, how long is a generation? Well, some people think a generation, they'll, they'll say it's 40 years. But really, a generation has to do with what period of time that you're talking about, all right? A generation has to do with the length of people's lives, okay? The length of people's lives. If people in this time, in Abram's time, and, and on through that period of time, they were living to be 120, 150. So a generation would be 100 years. For us, we don't live to be 120. Most of us don't live to be that old. But So our generations are not that long. So some generations 40 years because there was a time when people, if they made it to 40, they were doing pretty good. It's hard to believe now, but it's true. They, they didn't live much over 40, 50 years old. So generation has to do that. Well, they're living, they're living 100 years. So their generation would be 100 years. Four generations will be what? 400 years. Just like, just like he had promised and said those 400 years. Now, the finishes that verse out in verse 16. Look what he says. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What in the world is he talking about? 
What's the Amorite got to do? Well, the Amorites were the major group of the land of the Canaanites. You know, over here he lists out the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites. But the major group of those are the Amorites. And the Amorites would be the use, would be able to say the, the whole group. It'd be like us saying, uh, we're, we're Americans. We're citizens of the United States, but I'm Alabama. The more important thing is we're all together, we're what? Citizens of the United States. And individual parts, Alabama, Mississippi, wherever we are. Well, the Amorites would be the word that would be the United States. All right? And he says, it's going to be that 400 years because after that 400 years, the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites will be complete. Now, this, this is something, I hope you'll hold on to this because this is very, very important to see something. God, God created all of us, right? He created every one of us. And now there's a uniqueness of the children of Israel, and then thank God there's a uniqueness of Christians because we become a part of God's family by faith. Now, all that's true. But he still created every person. And he said, along with over here in Egypt, where I'm going to judge Egypt, he says, after the 400 more years of this, I'm going to come back and, we're going to, and you're going to take over the land of the Amorites then. Now, he's not going to take over the land of the Amorites during Abram's time. He's not going to take the Canaan land, the, the promised land, during Abram's time. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorite has not been complete. Has not been complete. Now, it, it's the idea of this, that, that God, and only God knows what it is, God has a scale, and, and it, there's going to be some point in time where a group of people are going to reach their iniquity level to where God's going to judge them. And he basically says right here, he says, the reason the Amorites aren't being judged now, the reason you're not taking over right now, because the Amorites' iniquity has not reached that level. It's almost like talking about the Ninevites, you know, having a chance to repent whenever old Jonah goes to preach to them. It hadn't yet reached that level. But when it does reach that level, and their iniquity reaches that level, then the judgment will come, and you will destroy them, and you will take their land. Now, let me tell you something that's sobering to think about that. I wonder when America is going to reach our level of iniquity. And we're talking about, we always talk about, well, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he don't judge us because of what's happening. Why aren't we judged? Well, thank God he, there's a righteous remnant still, amen? There's a righteous remnant that's there. Thank God for that. But also, the patience of God says that he will not judge that nation, any nation, until it has reached that level of iniquity. We're getting there fast. We're, 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 I mean, we're, we're, on the, we're on the interstate traveling down that road. I, you know, you are, some of you are older than I am, but I can't believe the changes we've seen in our nation, our thinking, our idea. I can't even imagine what's happening in, in my lifetime. And, and it's like it's on a warp speed right now. It's, it, whatever's ungodly, whatever's irrational, we're all for it. The nation is, seems like. You know, I, I can't, well, there will be a point. I don't know when that is. I don't, I'm not a doomsday or anything like that. But there will be a point when that iniquity has reached its completeness and the judgment of God will come. All right?
The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete, he said at that time. Now, look what happens at verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flame, a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. What is that smoking oven? What, what, what is that flaming torch? What or who does that represent? It represents God himself, yeah. It represents God himself. I mean, whenever he's going to tell them about when he's going to tell them about the law, he's going to tell them about sacrifice, altar of sacrifice, what's it going to be? It's going to be burned on the altar of sacrifice. Like that oven, smoking oven. It, it's going to be the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God. It's going to be when the children of Israel are coming out, they're, they're led by a cloud by day and a pillar of what? Fire by night. Okay. So here's the picture. Now, this is a beautiful picture. Listen. It says that here are these animals that have been cut apart. Here's the covenant that is going to be made. All right? But who is it that walks between the parts of the animal? It is not Abram. It is not Abram. It's God. Matter of fact, it's not Abram and God. It's just God. Now, let me show you the significance of that. Okay? Whenever that covenant is made, whoever it is that walks between those parts of that animal at that time, they're the ones who are making the covenant. All right? They're the ones making the covenant. If two people were in agreement and they had a contract together, they'd separate those parts, and them together they would walk through, they would walk through those parts, all right? Because they're making a covenant together. But when one person walks through, it is that person who's making the covenant irregardless of what the other person does. It's called a unilateral covenant. A unilateral covenant. That means only one person is making the commitment and only one person is obligated to fulfill that covenant. And do you know who it is in this relationship between Abram and God? It's God. It's God. God says, everything I've told you, Abram, everything I've promised you, everything that's out there for you, it is my promise to you and my covenant to you, and I'm walking that covenant is not dependent upon anything you do. I'm going to fulfill it based on who I am. Now, if it were a bilateral covenant, both would be walking together. There were some bilateral covenants that were made with the children of Israel. I mean, whenever God would say to them, if you will obey, if you will do this, then I will do that. You have that all throughout Scripture, right? If you will do this, I will do that. But not with Abram, not with this covenant. This covenant is unilateral. God says in himself, I'm going to make this covenant. I'm going to promise it has nothing to do with you, Abram. You can't blow it. You can't mess it up. You can't do anything to miss it. It's all settled based on what I've told you. So look what the next verse says. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates. Then he identifies all those people 
who live in this great mass of land. He didn't say, I'm going to give you this if you will keep your nose clean. I'm going to give you this if you will make sure that you always work. He didn't say that. He says, I have promised to you that this is your land. Nothing, nothing will keep this from being your your land. Now, I want to tell you, if if you know uh, through the story of of Genesis and and Jacob and Esau and all their stuff, you you go over there whenever they got out of Egypt and they're traveling in the wilderness and they mess up and blow it and build a, a, a golden calf and everything. There were lots of times that if God had not made a unilateral covenant promising based on his character that this would happen, there had been a lot of times those promises would have never been fulfilled. But it's not based on what the people did. It's not based on what Abraham did. It's based on the fact that Abraham said, Lord, Lord, how, how, how do I know? How, how, how can I know that I'm going to possess it? He says, Abram, I'm not just going to give you my word. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And I'm going to walk through those parts right by myself, letting you know that my promise will be true. That what I tell you is going to happen, it's going to happen, just like I said it was going to happen. In great detail. Now, you read on over there in Genesis, you read on over there in, e, in Exodus, you read, read those things, you find out, man, do you know what? Everything God said he was going to do, he did. Aren't you glad we serve a God who can tell you 400 years before it happens what's going to happen in intricate detail and it happens just like that? What a God we serve. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for truth. Thank you for the covenant with Abraham that so affected our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.